0: RUF is a campus ministry that believes God is at work in all things, in all places, that God is at work at Appalachian State. God is at work in your life and in my life. And most of all, God is at work through His Word, the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Word He brings to us as a gift. And RUF is a community that's for every single App State student any and every App State student, whether you believe that the Bible is the word of God or not. But we open the Bible every single week to consider how it points us to the God who is making all things new, who's putting everything back together. And we're working through the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, which tells us the story of what Christians call the gospel. And we said the gospel is not a program, like a three-step process for spiritual fitness. It's not good advice it's good news it's the good announcement of who jesus is what he has done what he is doing and what he promises to do in the future so with that in mind let's read mark 4 1 through 9 and then 13 through 20. again jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while, then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are those are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of God. Is it hard or is it easy to change? Is it hard or is it easy to change? When I was going into my senior year of college, I realized that I wanted to change in a a very specific way. I realized that the people that I was rudest to or that I I lacked mercy for, that I was the least gentle with, were my roommates. Four other guys that I lived with day in and day out. And so I recognized this reality in my heart and I felt like, okay, I'm going to change that for my senior year. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to focus really hard on being sweet, and I'm just going to be nice to my roommates, and I'm going to be gentle with them, and then when they do things that make me mad, I'm going to overlook it, and that's just what I'm going to do. That's how it's going to be, and so, you know, first week of, of class, senior semester, or senior fall semester, I walk into the house, and, and I go to my room, and, and I notice as I'm walking in my room that there's a pile of my roommate's dirty laundry in front of my door, <laughs> And I think no big deal because I'm chill. So you know, I just kind of sweep it out of the way, walk into my room. Like it's no big deal. And then my roommates are home, and I walk out. I'm thinking, okay, this is this is great. I'm gonna be nice to them. And we start playing Mario Kart. And then I lose three games in a row. And then I flip the table and say, y'all are the worst. <laughs> this, this house this house is garbage. This is a house of lies. <laughs> it really. I just remember distinctly, I think that week I had my biggest argument with all, each one of my roommates individually. The week that I decided, this is when my heart is going to change. It is not easy to change. Just think about how easy is it or how difficult is it to love a roommate consistently? And if you feel like you don't, how easy is it to change that? It's not easy, it's hard. The Bible acknowledges that real lasting uh, change happens at the level of our hearts. And when it uses the word heart, it's talking about more than our feelings, but it's the heart is the place of our emotions and our thoughts and our will. It's like the command center of your life where all those things come together and govern your actions and, and your entire life. So the Bible acknowledges that real change happens at the heart level. But how does heart change occur? And here's what we find in Mark 4, is that the gospel produces heart change. The gospel produces heart change. And I want to explain this by answering three questions looking at this passage. One, what kind of change is Jesus talking about here? Two, how fast is this change? How fast does it occur? And three, how hard is this change? So one, what kind is it? Two, how fast is it? And three, how hard or difficult is it? So first, what kind of change is Jesus talking about here? We find that Jesus is telling the crowd who are following him around and they're fascinated by him. They've seen him perform miracles. Some of them believe that he is the Messiah, the one set apart to save God's people and the whole world. And he tells them a story. It says a parable Because the gospel is so good and so beautiful, in many ways can only be captured in the most beautiful form, which is arguably story. So he tells them this story uh, that pictures what change is like. This is a story about a sower. A gardener or a farmer sowing seed to produce a crop of grain. The sower in the story is God. The seed is the word or message of the gospel. The soils, the different kinds of soils, are different states of our hearts. And growth from the seed is picture of heart change in our lives. So what kind of change is Jesus talking about here? And within the framework of the Bible, there are two basic kinds of change. There's self-made change, which is change in the direction of who I want to be or who I feel that I should be. And this this change happens really by some kind of grit or determination. Internally, you channel your power and you become who you want to be or who you feel you should be. That's one kind. But the second is God-made change. This is change in the direction of who God wants you to be who he says he made you to be. And it, this happens or is, it's dependent upon our trust and our weakness and our dependence upon God. So Jesus is not talking about self-made change. It's very clear that he's talking about God-made change or gospel change. And this change doesn't uh, happen because the soil works really, really hard or the soil has a plan for the seed. In this story, change happens because there is a preset DNA in the seed that has a plan for growth, but also the seed is packed with power so that change will happen. It comes up because the soil is tilled up and broken up, and the seed that is able to grow, it grows in the soil that is able to receive the seed, which is packed with that power and that purpose. So Jesus says in verse 8, where the seed is received by the good soil, it produces grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. That's the way it is with gospel heart change. Our hearts receive the word or message of the gospel which has the plan or purpose for how we are to change and it has the power for us to move that direction. But that is so often not the way that we view change. I would say that, more often than not we we view change in our lives kind of like date mike date mike from the office episode happy hour and so in this episode michael scott the the boss in the office he goes to this party this happy hour party and he is is meeting there this this person of interest named julie who people want to set him up with and it's actually going well for once and she's interested in him. But it's right when he realizes that she's interested in him that he decides to become Date Mike. And he puts on a backwards cabbie hat and flips his collar. Date Mike, nice to meet me. And it basically just sabotages the night because he feels like, okay, for, for me to get what I want, to move the direction I need to go, what I need to do is basically put on a new version of myself. To I like dress myself with something entirely new based on the version of myself I feel like I need to be? And it's based on my power, grit, determination. Self-made change, like with Date Mike, it is problematic in two really important ways. I mean, first, self-made change is idolatrous. Idolatry is worship of a God besides the real God revealed, shown to us in the Bible. When we determine what change should look like, when I determine what change should look like in my life, I am making a false God out of the version of myself that I need to pursue or go toward. Because I'm replacing Jesus with that version of myself that I feel like I need to move toward. Because we're called to conformity with Jesus, Christ-likeness. But also, it's idolatrous, but also it's just exhausting, that if change is really dependent on grit and determination, we will likely swing between obsessive self internal remodeling. we just like, we go through these periods where we really frantically think, I gotta work on me, I'm just gonna make everything different. And then we swing over towards stagnation. Where it's sort of like, this is me, you know, like it or not, deal with it. And just like, I'm not gonna change, this is who I am. And Both of these things are problematic, idolatry and exhaustion. But gospel change is wonderful in two ways. Because gospel change says that you don't have to become anything other than who God made you to be. It's not like you're putting on some new outfit or putting on multiple outfits. that You feel like this is going to be enough. Instead, it's more of like settling into clothes that are beautiful and made just for you. But also, change is not determined by your grit and determination. It's determined by God's power and his promise. We notice here in this story that the sower is just scattering the seed everywhere because he is eager for you to change. He is eager to produce in you more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's what he wants for you. And that's what he promises. So what kind of change is this? This is God made change. This is gospel change. It's the first thing. The second, how fast is this change? Have you ever watched something grow? Have you ever just sat and looked at a plant and then watched it grow? If you have, come talk to me because I'm concerned about you because it's, there's no point to it. Change in the organic area or change in agriculture, it's so slow that it's basically imperceptible. We need a time lapse in, either, in order to see a plant or a vegetable grow and sprout up from a seed out of the ground but jesus is intentionally talking about growth in organic or agricultural terms because gospel growth is not fast it is slow not fast but profoundly slow if you look at your life or my life up close change can seem almost imperceptible like there is no change nothing is happening i'm not growing my heart isn't changing. I don't desire God more. I don't want to love my roommates. I don't find myself able to love my neighbor more than I did yesterday. And he says this clearly in, in later in chapter 4 when he compares the kingdom of God, God's purpose for the world, to a mustard seed, which he says is a super tiny little seed. But over time, it becomes 10 or 12 feet high. That is the way of gospel growth. But it's exactly because gospel growth is so slow that the seed has to be protected and nurtured. So if it grows up too fast, we see in verse 6, it gets scorched by the sun because it really has no root. It's not lasting change. It's vulnerable to bird attack, we see in verse 4, which pictures the nature of spiritual warfare. Which, is, When I say spiritual warfare, I mean that there are forces at work in this world that don't want you to experience the goodness of growth. And the battle occurs throughout the Christian life because growth is slow. It's not fast, it's slow. My son, Robert, is two and a half now. And he looks, I saw him this morning and some him this afternoon, and he looks the exact same that he did this morning. And he looks the exact same that he did yesterday. And I assume that when I see him tomorrow morning, he will look the same as he does right now. That's just basic assumption, you know, dad life. But if I, if I look back at pictures of Robert from when he was six months old, two years ago, I mean, I recently looked at a picture and I, my instant thought was, who is that? What child is that? What weirdo uploaded a picture of their child in my Dropbox? But really, it's, he, there has been so much massive change over that span of time that... I don't even know what my son looks like. Confession. I'm just kidding. I know what he looks like. But imperceptible change. If you span out, what you find is massive growth, massive change. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. It's, we look up close and it's like nothing is happening. I'm not growing. My heart is the exact same as it was. But if you, if you span out to an entire lifetime, what you find is beautiful, massive growth. And there's a couple of consequences of this. One, if we expect instantaneous change from God, we will end up disappointed and discouraged. One, we'll be disappointed because we'll be looking for those mountaintop experiences. Like when you go to a camp and you're like, this is the time I'm going to change. And you take a rock and you write a sin on it. And you're like, and you throw it into a river and you're like, that'll do it. And then the next day, that sin is still there. And you're like, what? What? That rock lied to me. (laughs) Must have been the rock's fault. You know, it definitely was the rock's fault. (laughs) Um, We might be discouraged because we're looking for these big experiences of change. Like over this weekend, boom, I'm going to I'm going to change so much and then I can kind of coast over the next year. But also we'll be discouraged because often we will look at our lives or we'll look internally and say, it doesn't even look like I'm progressing, progressing, I'm regressing. I'm not growing, I'm shrinking. And often that's because we're looking just up close at that day. Well, it's only the long game that determines whether we are moving in God's direction. It's only the long game. If you ask me right now, how is RUF doing or growing in 2020? I think the best answer would be ask me in 10 years. In 10 years, that's when I'll know where all of you are or know something about that. But also, I mean, it's what's happening right now. If I look at this moment right now where it seems there's imperceptible, almost no change at times. But if I look over at 10 years, I'll see how what we're doing right now and what you're doing and the ways that you're blessing this community, how it is making RUF more able to reach and love App State. Well, that's the hope. But ask me in 10 years. If you ask me, I'm like, how am, I, how am I growing right now? I can try to give you an answer, but the best or most accurate answer is ask me in 10 years. Because right now, I'm, I'm fairly frustrated with myself. I see my selfishness, and I see my, my, the numbness of my heart. But if I look back 10 years ago... By God's grace and his kindness, I can see change. I can see by his grace how I have grown in mercy and how I have grown in patience. may not be massive uh, in my eyes, but it is real change over those 10 years. Ask me 10 years from now. But to pursue change, we have to, from the beginning, assume that it's going to be slow. It's going to be slow and it's going to look small. I mean, to grow in your understanding of the Bible, the best place to start is just the day in and week in and week out, showing up to community group and looking at God's word with other people. That consistency over time is what makes the difference. If you want to grow in your love toward your roommate, it really the best place to start is with seeking the small ways of overlooking fault. And the small moments when you pray for the good of your roommate, even when you're like, I don't want to pray and I don't feel good toward this person in my life or this friend or this family member. But it's those moments that make up, make the difference where we can see the long game. God is at work. This is what makes all the difference is that God is at work in us. Even when we don't see the change, he is steady and faithful and he is not slow as we count slowness. He knows what he's doing. And in his timing, he's going to work out his purpose in you. And he he is eager to produce in you more peace and patience and kindness and all of the rest. So that you can look back 10 years from now and see your time in college and say, look in this this period of time, look at how God graciously has brought change in my life. So that's the second thing. How fast is this change? It's slow, but it's real and it's steady. And finally, let's look how hard is the change? How hard is the change? So C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, he answers the question, is Christianity hard or is it easy? And his answer is both. It's both hard and easy. It's hard because Jesus demands everything from you, not just a little bit of your time or a little bit of your money or a little bit of your gifts, but all of you, body and soul. But Christianity is also easy because Jesus promises to give you all of himself, not just a little bit of his love, not just a little bit of his attention, but everything that he has to give. And I would say that this relates to the question, is change hard or easy? And the answer, which may be frustrating, is both. It's hard and it's easy. I mean, this, the hard part of, of change, it, it It's hard because God demands that we pursue his kingdom, his ways, and him above everything else. And this is what's pictured in the thorny soil that chokes the life out of the seed in verse 7, which points to the reality that we have competing desires in our hearts. Things that want to overcome our desire for God, his kingdom, and his ways. And so Jesus says in verse 19 that when the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things overcome our desire for God, these desires choke the life of the word, the gospel message in us. We must make other desires subordinate to our desire for God. There are, we we all know, there are these over-desires. Many desires that are in themselves good, but when they become greater than our desire for God's kingdom, then they become sin. Then they become a problem. These over-desires to have wealth more than than to have the riches that God gives us in Christ. To have acclaim from other people and from the world and desire that more than we desire God's acceptance. To have what we want more than than what God wants. Each one of us has these over desires. So change is hard because we have to put these things to death or else these things will choke the joy and the life out of us. And change is easy because this is exactly why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to overcome these over desires. He came to die for our sin so that when our hearts are not what they should be, we are still secure in his love. That's why change is easy, It's because we are secure. And he came to be raised from the dead so that, that death conquering power that raised him from the dead would be at work in you, guaranteeing change. And this is very important to, to remember. This is a, an RUF saying that change is guaranteed, but it's not automatic. It's not automatic because you can't just sit on your couch and be like, okay, God, do your thing. But it's also guaranteed, so it's not all up to you. God promises to be at work in you, and he has the power to be at work in you. Over-desires, our sin, are no problem for Jesus. He is not intimidated by the messiness in my heart or in your heart. This is exactly why he came into the world, to give us the security so that then, by his power, he could bring change in us. One of the best pieces of marriage advice I received was this. Plan on marrying the person that's right in front of you, not the person that you expect they will become sometime in the future. There's this tendency to want to say, okay, you know, when I'm moving toward marriage with this person, you know, I feel pretty good about it. But there are these things that bother me about him or about her. And so I'll, you know, I'll marry. But my plan is to just over time help this person kind of get where I want them to be. Maybe if I just kind of passive-aggressively complain over a period of 50 years, then we'll be able to accomplish that. And this piece of advice was saying, no, you are marrying the person who's right there in front of you. Is there a hope that that person, or merely is there hope for her looking at me that I will change over time? Of course there is. But change is possible because there is security in marriage. Knowing that this person, I am committed to him or to her right where they are. And they are my delight, right where they are. That's what makes it possible for over time there to be individual growth, but also, of course, growth for the marriage itself. This is the way Jesus works in us. He gives us perfect security, so then we can know that His power is going to work in us over time. Even when we look at our hearts and say, "It's, it's my heart is not where it should be. I don't feel like I'm growing." And so, yes, change is hard. And there are no magic strategies for the Christian life for how to, for how to change. And if someone tells you that there are, they are, at best, well-meaning but entirely mistaken. No magic strategy. And change is a process that often feels like dying. It feels like death. Because you're rooting up stuff that you don't want to root up. That I, I don't want to give up my personal freedom where I can decide what is, is right just based on what feels right to me or what I think is right. We're, we're discovering stuff that we didn't know was there. Because it's hard for me to raise my voice at people, I've often, or always thought that I'm not an angry person. But it's been very painful over the past couple of years to see that there actually is a lot of anger in my heart toward God, toward other people, toward myself. It's not good. It's not, it doesn't feel good to discover these things. But we also are discovering... St- Stuff that we thought that we'd gotten rid of. You know, I think sometimes they're like, I've pretty much moved past middle school pettiness. But then some friends get together and they don't invite me to their dinner party. And it's like, you know what I'm going to do? Not them. invite them to my dinner party. I'm going to invite everyone in Boone except for them. And it's like, oh, <laughs> there, It's like that old pettiness that I experienced in eighth grade is still there. So it's hard. It feels like death. But change is also easy. And the, the magic sauce of the Christian life is Jesus' promise. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The, the only thing that's magical or powerful to change us is Jesus and his promise. All the way through the lifelong process of change, Jesus' love for you is the exact same right now as it will be one million years from now. Or in eternity, when you stand before Jesus' throne, perfectly complete, the person you were entirely made to be, Jesus will not love you more than he loves you right now. Isn't that amazing? The change is easy because his burden is light. And change, yes, it's a process of death, but it's also a process of resurrection. Because when I root up sin, I can look to the Jesus who paid for my guilt. When I discover stuff I didn't know was there, I can look to the Jesus who knew it was there all along far more than I will ever know. And yet he has called me his delight. As I discover new stuff, I can look to the Jesus who is perfectly patient with me and will see me all the way through to glory. So. Do you want heart change? Come to Jesus and have your heart tilled up and broken. Do you want heart change? Come to Jesus because he will raise you up and fill you with new life that will sprout and flourish and pour over. Let me pray. Father, thank you that uh, change is not dependent on us, but thank you, Lord, that change is guaranteed. Thank you, Lord, that... We can be secure knowing that we are justified once for all, that you will never turn us away, but also that there is hope for real change in our lives. And I pray that we would, even tonight, uh, trust you, trust that you are at work. And we ask this in your name. Amen.